This is Being Healthy with Dr. Christian Bramwell, discussing all things health, fitness, and wellness. The opinions provided should not be viewed as medical advice. And remember, please consult with your doctor before making any changes to your diet or habits. Thanks again for listening, guys. Hey, Chris. How's everything going today? I'm good, Saeed. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How was, uh, you, so I guess you got back from Atlanta. What, like, what's something, I've always been meaning to go to Atlanta, like, to actually hang out, but I've never actually hung out in Atlanta. Like, what's something you do when you go to Atlanta? See, so of course, got to see the girl. Shout out to Sarah, my lady. Oh, um, she's but the usually, yeah, but so usually when she and I got together, last time we went to the batteries. So the, something I, I missed out was just being built by the time I was dipping out for a residency out of Atlanta from Morehouse School of Medicine. It's like they got this whole district set up around the Braves Stadium. Beautiful. It's like. Very nice, like, mix of, like, hotels, living quarters, restaurants, and the whole park. That's nice, man. You, you look, but you said, but you said, you don't even need to like baseball. And you, you, I remember you're not the biggest baseball fan, right? Nah, I mean, so I had some yeah, friends not, in college man. that played baseball, and I can kind of, I can kind of get into it when it's live, but I, I cannot watch it at all on TV. Like, it's well, not, it's not happening. I, I don't even like watching baseball highlights on TV. Don't worry, man. Trust me. Well, well, that well, the game's going on. You can just watch it outside. Get yourself an ice cream, and then just, just taking the scenery. So it's in like the nicer part of like North Atlanta, called Marietta area. Okay. Yeah. Next time you're here, let me know. I'll take you out. Besides that, as far as like outdoor stuff, like the if you want to get just get your fitness on, the Beltline is like this nice little route that they built throughout Atlanta that sort of connects the Decatur slash Virginia Park slash uh, Western areas of the city. Good bike ride, okay. ride the electrical scooters and all along the ways, as I said, just beautiful sunsets and very well-priced fried chicken sandwiches. <laughs> fried chicken sandwiches. Yeah, I like a fried chicken sandwich. Not the healthiest thing, but you got to do it when you're taking the scenery, man. You got to go when you go to Atlanta. Well, so, I mean, it's like, that stuff's cool on a Saturday. You know, like if you're, or like whenever your cheat day might be, you know, you want to have like, fried chicken sandwich, a soda, and an ice cream or whatever. Like, that's not a big deal. It's bad if you're doing that, you know, five, six, seven days a week. Like, that's that's when it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. But you'll be tempted to in that city, man. It's good food. Like, where you, like I said, I know up in Nashville, you say best food, like in Nat, like Nashville barbecue, best food you had in your life, or, like, where, 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 where do you remember some good, food, getting some good food at? No, Nashville barbecue is not. Really? Nashville's not known for barbecue. Nashville's known for Nashville's known for hot chicken. Nashville's known for like soul food, not not as much barbecue. Really? But Nashville, because Nashville's oh. grown so fast, they have so many different types of food in Nashville. It's like you can find great sushi in Nashville. You can find great pizza, great Chinese food. You can find um, upscale not, dining. But not barbecue. That's a problem. That is a. Pro- I, I don't. You guys have your own sauce, like the Nashville brand. Yeah, KFC has your own sauce. It's got to be a thing. No, no. I mean, hot chicken is like hot chicken is a Nashville thing. Like basically, fried chicken, um, breast or thighs covered in like either a, a very spicy dry rub or a hot sauce. 
Like, that's a Nashville thing. But, no. I mean, barbecue, you really have good barbecue in what, like, North Carolina or South Carolina, Kansas City, Houston, uh, what is it, like, Oklahoma or something like that. Um, I think St. Louis, too. But, yeah, good – I mean, like, world-famous barbecue in the States is only in, like, four or five I locations. respectfully – I know you've lived in Nashville for three years – I mean, probably even longer, but I have to respectfully decline to you. Like, when I went up to Nashville to interview Meharry, I had some of the best barbecue brisket of my life. And any listeners out there who think Saeed's wrong or you think I'm wrong, just uh, just chime in to any of our platforms below. Just tell us, anyone from Nashville, how good the food is. Or if you think you got the best barbecue, let me know. But, so what's, okay. If anyone was to try, if anyone was to try to say Nashville had world-famous barbecue, I would fight them to the death. <laughs> like Nashville has really it great good. way, especially with the way Nashville's been growing over the last five years. But they don't have world famous barbecue. Like their hot chicken is world famous, and like you see places. I think there's a place in Tampa that opened up recently that does hot chicken, and it's like Nashville inspired hot chicken. But okay. um, like not nah, like I mean, you can find good barbecue in Nashville. I don't doubt that, especially because of all the restaurants that you have in Nashville. But that Nashville is not home to like world famous barbecue. Oh. True. I, all right. Damn. I guess I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, no. You probably found you probably found really good barbecue, but Nashville's just not known as like world famous or nationwide famous barbecue. What was the best food that you like? Like of all the cities you've been to, like what are some legitimately good food you've had? Mm, I mean, Tampa's got a lot of good food, but as far as where I've lived, now, I think Nashville's food scene is probably bigger and more diverse than Tampa's is. And then I lived in Knoxville for a little bit and Knoxville's food scene is not, it's not anything like crazy special. It's like a regular type of food scene. Oh, Memphis. Memphis has world-class barbecue. Like Memphis is well known for barbecue, soul food. Uh So if you were like, if you were saying you went to Memphis and you had heard everybody talking about Memphis barbecue, Definitely. Um, Memphis is about Memphis is five hours away from Nashville, though. So, I mean, you might have thought maybe the barbecue you had was some someone from Memphis or someone who had like Memphis inspired barbecue. Yeah, I'll pass. I feel like the difference of goodness between like, you know, the first vest and the third vest is like negligible. You know what I mean? I just want to say I've had some kind of good barbecue. What? I don't know how they would. I don't know how you'd rank them. I mean, I guess it would depend. On, I'm not a big barbecue person. because I don't like on Food Channel, you know what I mean? Barbecue yeah, cook-off I, like... I mean, I know like Kansas City is supposed to be up there, but I don't know which place is supposed to be the best. But I don't eat ribs, so I never really oh. like barbecue chicken's cool, but I don't I don't eat ribs, so that's, that's really the next what... episode of Chop then. Bar- well, I think they already do have Chop Barbecue Cookout, but yeah, man, whenever you have a like a good old culinary disagreement, just take it to the Chop Kitchen. Oh, uh, I mean, I think what's the show I watch? You, watch, you, watch, you, you never see Chop? I, I love Chop, man. It's giving me some good ideas, as well as just like watching some good old, good old uh, cooking competition. Well, what do you watch? Uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Okay. Yeah, I like watching that guy like eat a whole bunch of. It's almost like man versus food, but less gross. <laughs> Like stuff is actually on somebody's menu that gets oh, eaten on. Yeah, tells you the last guy they had like before, like Adam Richmond or I forgot his name. What was the old man versus food guy? I think you got it right, Adam Richmond. Okay, yeah, and then the new guy they brought in, like as you said, like it, I, he just doesn't look as 
You know, not like Adam Richard was like, you know, uh, James Bond of, of food, you know what I mean? But this guy just looks like just just fat, sloppy, really dopey. I just can't get on board with it, you know what I mean? What, what's his name? Oh, no, the person isn't the problem for me. Like, man versus the food that they were eating was just all everything they ate was just so ridiculous. I mean, it was technically on the menu, but it was uh-huh. never it was never anything that was like uh, that was like it wasn't it was all like big, disgusting specialty things. It wasn't anything like at least diners, drives and drive-ins and dives. Like if you eat something like big and wild, it's still something that's on like the regular menu that regular yeah, people right. Wow. Yeah, is, like, eat, this, eat this abominable uh this atomic hot wing that makes like your whole face melt off it's like nah man i'm good no casey webb he's a new man versus food guy that name sounds familiar did he do something before was he on a show before uh he's from i don't know he's just from the east coast he just says he's an east coast food enthusiast let me let me see this guy maybe i've seen him on instagram or something like that that name sounds familiar for some yeah. reason. Oh, damn. Look at this man. I must have been on the Mr. Handsome page. What a handsome guy they got. Yeah. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sorry. You know, it's hard in Casey Webb, but I'm sorry. Like, the food just, the sh- I mean, the show is just not the same, as you said. It's just, yeah. Take a step back. Okay. But according to this, do, 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 do. Oh, find this one guy, Casey. But besides that, no chopped at all. Like I just love like watching the food be made. Like I feel like it just gets some good like uh, tips. You know what I mean? You don't think so? Uh chopped is cool. There was one show that they had that was kind of like chopped, but each round to try to figure out which person was a chef and which person was like a fraud, or not a fraud, but just was someone who wasn't actually a chef, <laughs> which I thought was really cool because it sort of showed like the ability that regular people have in the kitchen. You know, you don't have to be a chef to really. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's like, Oh, you julienned these carrots instead of dicing them. You lose. Get out of here. (laughs) Like a lot of the people, they couldn't tell, like they try to say like, Oh, well the way this person cuts the carrots, like that tells me they're a professional chef. And it's like, nah, that lady's, you know, she's a nurse or something like that. Like there was one guy who was a soldier. Really? Who spent a lot of time in, I think Japan and Korea. So a lot of his stuff had it had a like a Japanese or Korean type of feel to it, like the flavoring, the style of cooking, everything. They mm-hmm. thought he was like a professionally trained chef, but he was just a soldier that had spent a lot of time in that region, and that's why everything he did and the way he cooked was in that style. Hmm. But I thought that was really cool, especially because you know, like huh. we're that is cool. Our moms and our aunts being able to cook and. You know, we don't look at chefs as like somebody impressive. It's like I can go home and get a better meal than that. Yeah. So I thought it was. <laughs> oh, oh, but no, nah, man. We're going back to Casey. Well, he he actually had a come up, man. So according to his bio, he was bartending in Brooklyn before he got the call to be the new man versus food guy. He he was just bartending again. in Brooklyn, New York, before he just got the call to be the man versus food guy. Just blogging stuff like that. Yeah, oh. man. He got his come up. So I guess shout out to him, man. That's a good story. Yeah, I'm still wondering why I know that name for some reason. Got any good drinks in Brooklyn lately? No, I that's don't drink. Right, man. That's right. Oh, true. Well, say la vie. That anyway, side. 
So let me so so about this pod, so about our podcast we got going on. So first of all, guys, welcome to the Being Healthy podcast with Side Bramwell Gordon and Doctor Christian Bramwell. But we are no, that's cool. We're going to talk about prescription okay. drugs, um, and sort of. So for this this episode, since Chris is a doctor, um, Chris is going to be able to sort or Doctor Bramwell, I should say, is going to be able to sort of take us through the thought process of a medical professional when they're providing or determining what to prescribe to a patient. Um, but also we, we want to make sure that you guys, as you know, the, the average Joe Blow patient that you might be able to find out, you know, what are some questions you should be asking? What are some things that you should be um, not necessarily worried about, but, you know, be aware of as a patient who might be yes. getting a prescription or prescribed a particular drug or medicine, um, you know, the next time you yeah, go well, to the doctor. Well, office. Well, said. Um, so with that, yeah. So with that, uh, Chris, what is like, what is a prescription from a, like a medical, uh, a medical definition of a prescription or okay. a prescribed drug? So in layman's terms, a prescription is a doctor's order to give a medication. So prescription, so we call them orders once they're in the hospital. But pretty much are the same thing in that we have to either electronically or on a piece of paper write down our order to give a medication to a patient. And the patient takes her, takes that order to whoever will prescribe it, of course, at a little profit for themselves and dispense out the medication. Okay. All right. So that's like simple enough. It's basically, basically the stuff that uh, a lot of us are familiar with yeah. if you've ever gotten a you know prescription I mean? before. Yes. And then okay. any doc, and then technically ah. like doctors based on what their specialty is sort of stick in their own lanes. So as a family medicine doctor, so my lane is sort of wide. I prescribe every, I can prescribe anything from like, you know, psychiatric drugs to pain drugs to antibiotics to a wide, to a wide variety. For instance, like, you know, with the, pediatricians so pediatricians like especially with this opioid pain crisis hardly ever had to you know dispense opioids or any schedule type of narcotics to their patients so they're not so they're less likely to prescribe them while you know your family medicine doctor prescribe a little bit of everything but for the most part you should you see a doctor and they have like a certain lane of like medication that they're whether they're well prescribed on you know what i mean side mm-hmm. all right okay that makes sense um so f- as a as a doctor, what are the, I guess, what are the reasons that you would prescribe a, a particular drug to a patient? Like, what are the things, what are the challenges that someone would be dealing with that you would say a prescription is necessary here as opposed to let's wait and see or, you know, maybe change your eating habits, your sleeping habits, and then we can figure out okay. something after that. So, you know, so you've seen all the great, all the good doctor shows, right, Saeed? Like how doctors are like very calculated and you know what I mean? Like sort of like a machine when it comes to doing, using the scientific method with medicine, I guess. Okay. So for us doctors, like just because we're, you know, we're people of science, we, we rely on a method, you know, so that we run everything a certain way. So we don't miss anything. The, a lot of the key things that tells us medications, first of all, is the beginning part of what we do, a history and a physical. So, you know, we'll come in, we'll talk to you, be like, hey, I'm Dr. Bramwell, how's it going, blah, blah, blah. So, I was, so first I get a hint of what the symptoms you are. You know what I mean? So, let's say, let's say, let's just say we're talking to Alita. So, Alita's my patient. You know, she just said, so first of all, she says symptoms. So, let's say back pain. 
Like, okay, Lou, you got some back pain. So I'll get, mm-hmm. you know, I'll work it up, you know, ask some questions about it. Okay, you got this back pain about three weeks ago. Uh, you may have gotten it during uh, when you were straining at the gym, but hasn't gotten any better. Got a little bit worse, but it, it seems okay. Okay. And then, you know, ask about symptoms. Then after that physical exam, so I look at her back, see if it's, you know, all the, going the full motions or not. And then based on that, whether or not I need the key things. So here's when the key things would tell me I need to do medication. Uh, would just tell me, would, would tell me like some specific laboratory findings, like for instance, diabetes. So let's say like during this, like I run Alita's uh, uh, vital, I mean her uh, laboratory values and her hemoglobin A1C, a marker of diabetes is say 10. With that being 10, you have to treat with medication, including insulin and other stuff like that. But what's the So usually for normal people, it should be about less than 6.5. If you're a little older, we like it at at 7. A little 7.5 is on the higher end acceptable. But if you're a young, healthy person, under 6.5. And And then based on like laboratory diets, we treat a lot. So, you know, like for instance, say uh, your calcium is super low. All right, we got to give you some calcium. Uh, got or say, oh, it looks like you got this infection. All right, you got you got antibiotics based on your white blood cell count being through the roof. White blood cell count is the white blood cells that fight infection. If they're high, and you look sick, use some antibiotics until otherwise proven. So it's just a combination of what we find on our history, on our physical, and the laboratory values, which include imaging as well. Now, now here, now here's now here's I think what the big thing is. So what about if I'm like 50-50 on a medication? Like what is the, the tipping point where I use to prescribing it to where I usually don't? You know what I mean? So that tipping point is just okay. based on what the patient wants and my recommendations. Some things I'm willing to slide on, some things I'm not. So something I'm willing to slide on. So like for instance, prescribing something like, say someone has low vitamin D. It's like, oh no, doc, uh, I haven't been eating a good diet. I've just been eating a bunch of like crackers and sandwiches all day. I, I'll get a better rich diet of vitamin D and calcium. I'm like, okay, okay, that's fine. So, and then would, and then if they're trying to do the diet and it's within a reasonable, uh, like, you know, I, it's, I can reasonably expect it from a patient. I'll, I'll let them give it their own shot. And that includes for some other things. But as I said, if it's something where a lab value tells me otherwise or something on my physical exam says otherwise, like, listen, if you have gout, but you're, but your toe is nice and hot. I'm going to give you some medicine. Like there's no way about it. If you have, if, if you have, uh, if you're not, if you don't want antibiotics, but you have a screaming ear infection, I'm going to give you the antibiotics. So it's just about how much I trust patients and how leeway about the situation I give. And as, but as for each doctor, that's one of those things that each doctor has to get comfortable with. You know what I mean? So that's why I say stay in your lanes. Like doctors need to make sure, you know, they stay in their lanes and, only prescribe drugs or monitor conditions that they feel comfortable doing. Like I said, as a family medicine doctor, there's no way I'm not going to give like, say, uh, say one of my cancer patients, like if I had a cancer patient, like he came to me and the officer of taking this chemotherapy drug. Uh, no, you're, you're taking that. It's not my lane of specialty for right now. We're going to keep it on unless a cancer doctor tells me otherwise. So two questions uh, about what you said. One was what is imaging, and two, how do you, as a doctor, how how do you trust a patient, or what is it that a patient does that lets you know you can trust what they're saying is the truth, especially if this is someone that you've had either a first meeting with 
or very few interactions with. So first, what is imaging? And then next is how, how do you as a doctor trust your patient or what do they do to build so trust with you? First, imaging is just we taking pictures of anything. So imaging is what we use to take pictures of different parts of your body. Or in another way, it's like uh, how we used to see what's going on from something that we can't see. There's only so much we can know by looking at someone. So we need imaging to help. And so that includes anything from like a chest X-ray to a CT or a, to, or a, or a, what we call a CAT scan, where we take detailed pictures of your organs and stuff, to anything where it's an ultrasound, where we just take a probe, put a little jelly on your body, and the sound that bounces off of it gives us a picture of what's going on. We've got some really cool stuff going on. I'm especially trying to get better on the ultrasound side as trying to be a sports medicine doctor, but we all use imaging to see what's going on. Now, as far as your second question, what is going to make me trust a patient or how do I decide how's it going to go? The, one of the first things is medication compliance. So for people out there that, are, that, that I got to tell you people that the gig's up. As doctors, we can sort of know how or not people are taking medication. If you're, if you're, taking, if you're supposed to be taking blood pressure medications, but you tell us you're taking them all, however, it's been three months since you last seen us and we've given you three months of medication and you still have three refills listed on the prescription we wrote that we can see, it's, it, it, I'm not going to trust you to do a medicine plan uh, if, it, if you have a choice. So I'm going to encourage doing the medication. But if I see you're compliant, that's one big thought. The second thing usually is honestly how people – how, how well people are self-directed into their own medical care. So someone who really takes, you know, my advice of like, you know, as I said, healthy eating, like drinking more water. So for instance, most of my patients, I always tell to drink more water. And by that, I say six to eight glasses a day. And then if they're doing it, they should be drinking more water. And then when I ask them, okay, so how's the water thing going? And if they say, oh, what water thing? Tells me not. And then they say, oh yeah, that's good, doc. I've been drinking more water. Still drinking some juice though. Okay. So, you know what I mean? So if I follow up and they actually take hard what I said, I'll, that gives me a little bit more trust in them. So those, I would say those are the two biggest things which helps me decide whether or not to a patient. Okay. Uh, the, the thing you mentioned uh, initially was the, the prescription or the medicine compliance. How does that work? Because you mentioned some of the stuff uh, that you can see, does that come, is that some sort of uh, uh, like information sharing between you and the pharmacist, between you and the patient themselves? Is that just something that, uh, you know, you, that gets tracked at, you know, maybe a government level or something? Oh, it all, uh, yeah, I would say it all get tracked. First of all, I would say I have very minimal contact with pharmacists. Pretty much you send the prescription. If I send a note, I'll oh. send it. But for the most part, unless there's a problem, that much communication going that way. So it's mostly with the patient. Oh, and another thing I forgot to mention is also the patient's own health line. So if patients, you know, some of my healthier patients will give more leeway to my sicker patients. Sicker patients with multiple comorbidities like kidney disease, heart disease, uh, liver cirrhosis, stuff like that. And yeah, well, what was your question about the government tracking? Uh, can you repeat that for me, good sir? Is there, in regards to determining how compliant a patient is with a particular, mm -hmm. I guess, prescription path or prescription guidance, is there something from the state or federal government level that, you know, provides you with information on the patient or that the patient has to provide to, you know, keep their medical no, records up to date? No, for the most part, patients don't need to do much to keep their medical records up to date. That's what we have these multi-million dollar electronic medical systems for. 
for good or for not, that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But it may for doctors it may do a little bit more work, but it keeps a lot of things well organized. So I'm not worried about that. As far as the government, the only thing the government really tracks uh, now is prescription opioids through each state. So that's as you know with the recent opioid crisis that we've gone through, you know, where there was a boom of opioids for all for that were unnecessarily prescribed for about over 20 years now because yeah. of that uh the states are really tracking these hard and they review providers to make sure they're prescribing opioids appropriately albeit they're not going to come knock on my door for every single time i provide i, I prescribe oxycodone but if like all right hey you're, you're prescribing a lot of oxycodone to a lot of people and you're not it doesn't seem like you know what i mean you're you have time to to properly talk to all these people and, you know, if they look a little bit deeper, they'll see, all right, they don't have, like, you know, uh, broken bones or cancer pain or anything that you should be prescribing this much. And that's how eventually doctors can get into trouble. But if you're just doing the, the normal doctor thing, not breaking any laws, all you, the government keeps track of it. They t- take a look. If it's all good, no problems. And we use that same database to make sure patients are not doctor shopping or going to different doctors asking for scheduled or you know, the drugs that are harder to get. That includes, you know, stuff okay. like Adderall, right. oxycodone, uh, morphine, stuff like that. Yeah, the schedule okay, of drugs. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so what's, you know, you talked about some of your thought process when you're prescribing something to a patient. Um, do you Do you take into account I guess the the type of medicine or maybe how strong or how you know addictive the medicine can be when you're determining if you're going to prescribe it um, or do you just try to find you just try to figure out what would be the best for the, the best, patient's the number issue. one thing um, yeah so say what's best for the patient and what the patient needs can sometimes be two different things and sort of through medicine in a loop but you know that, that's why I like the like the like that dynamic of the job, but, uh, no, but no, the first thing for me is the indication. So like, is, do I have an indication to give this medicine? What is the indication for me giving this drug? So like opioids, like indication for that is a couple, like a couple of big things. I'll say top three, number one, anyone who's just like, you know, had recent surgery or like broken a bone or anyone who had some type of surgical procedure. Next one is like cancer pain. People with cancer, cancer is painful. Trust me, if you had to can't like one of my guys, uh, yeah, poor guy, he's got and he's got a cancer in his throat, and the, the pain to think of that cancer growing along all the bones and tendons and muscles in his neck is just oh that makes you feel bad, man. You know what I mean? So but that is some but yeah, cancer yeah. pain is legitimate pain that I said like that is only gonna like opioids do need to be helped. Yeah. You gotta give them opioids. Treat the pain. As I said, like who wants something growing in their neck, causing a pain? That with opioids being so strong, is there any part of you with a particular patient, not necessarily every patient, but is there something that would make you say, I can't prescribe an opiate to this patient for X, mm. Y, or Z reason? Yes, yes. So I said the indication wasn't there. Oh, finish up uh, last one, third one. People who have like chronic pain that have just failed everything. So it's like they're allergic like I have a one patient allergic to all type of NSAID and anti-inflammatories allergic to a bunch of different stuff so that's the last option uh, but yeah but back to your point so I can't prescribe I will not prescribe an opioid if there's no indication 
And we're just because you're having some back pain, I'm not going to give you narcotics. Like, like, so that's the first thing. There's no indication. Then if I always get a urine drug test on people who are prescribed opioids, just to make sure they're on opioids and nothing else, because, you know, people on opioids, you know, because I said with the opioid crisis, people like when they couldn't get their opioids, they're going to get, go for heroin or other substances. So we just to make sure they're not uh, abusing drugs and we may be making a problem worse. We get a drug screen. The drug screen is something that tells me whether or not they are compliant so if they're not, so if they're selling it, it's going to test negative, or if they're using other stuff like, for instance, cocaine. So you just cannot mix cocaine and opioids because those are just two two things, and you're putting the patient at higher risk. It's all about taking care of the patients. Is cocaine a common? You know, you mentioned heroin with the opiates. Is cocaine a common substitute or supplement for someone who is? addicted to opiates but having trouble the most getting common the opiates? one would say it was heroin heroin is an op- is made from the same poppy uh poppy plants which has the opioid compounds and it's a lot cheaper on the streets mm-hmm. i said opioid prescriptions can run you like a couple hundred bucks maybe but I said heroin you can get you can get like uh say get it for like a quarter of that enough for i don't know but i, I would guess i don't know it's hard i've never done black tar black tar heroin recently but just to Give it a good old educated guess. I'd probably say like fifty bucks probably gets you half a day's worth, a day's worth. I don't know, but you can get that relief a lot sooner and quicker compared to the pill too, because you're injecting it directly into your veins. So people do love that benefit as well too. Okay. All right. So cocaine is not really a common substitute or supplement no, for. No, it was just something that one patient was doing. He was just he was just being a little bit of a wild boy, uh, but now cocaine is generally a little bit more expensive, so it's harder for it's, it's there's a less of a it's a higher threshold for people to abuse just because of the cost. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um. So if I'm, you know, the average patient going in to see my doctor, um, and I have a common issue. You know, whatever, whatever the two most common issues that you've seen so far uh, in practice, and I'm going to get a prescription because that's what the treatment path would be for that. What are the questions I should be asking before just, you know, accepting the prescription from the doctor, getting it filled out and using okay. the medicine? Okay. So the first one I would say is so, pain medication. So as far as the pain medication goes, the first question you should be asking your doctor is, are we doing everything to address the pain? Because that part of becoming pain, because it can be a multifactorial thing. So for instance, like diet, proper diet and uh, drinking plenty of water can help out with, with, with pain. So make sure to ask the doctor if we try, if that could help. Also make sure to ask your doctor if they could do physical therapy, occupational therapy, or some other type of directed exercises to help out with your, with, with your condition. And that can help out with a lot of people's pain. And then the last one would just be uh, just to ask them about the, the risks and the cons of the, of the medicine, why they, why they feel like the medicine would help, would help me more than it would harm me. Okay. So, you know, and I always appreciate people ask questions because it helps me, you know, think of stuff I might not have thought of. So please, folks, ask your doctor all the questions, no matter how embarrassing or little. The worst question is one that's never asked. Word from Dr. Bramwell. So what, what are the, I guess, what are the two most common 
issues uh, that your patients have had that have required a prescription okay. or medicine? So easily high blood pressure being in family medicine and diabetes. Yeah, I said, I'm sorry, if your blood okay. pressure is high and we've done everything and it's still not coming down, then we're, we're just going to have to start on the medicine. It said, and then for diabetes, the same thing. He, your, your random blood sugar is in the 200s. Your hemoglobin A1C is over the normal. We got to start you on medications. Okay. And those, and the questions that you just mentioned, that's the sort of stuff that anyone in that position should mm-hmm. be asking as far as, you know, if there's something I could pursue uh, in regards to my food or maybe my daily mm-hmm. habits that would help. Um, are there any other uh, resources or pathways that I might, that I should consider before going to the medicine, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And then ask me like the risks and okay. the cons, like the side effects. Is that all medicines have side effects? Is that some of them can be as small to cause a tummy ache to some of them could shut down your kidneys. All, all medicines have side effects. So please mm-hmm. ask me about the risks or the, or the cons of either. And ask all your doctors the same questions. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, Hopefully I don't end up in that position with high blood pressure or diabetes, but generally speaking, I'll be asking those questions. I got to start going to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is young folks, like we think we're invincible, which is kind of the truth, but yeah, the doctor's office is always a welcome spot to come to. You say, you always come to my clinic, man. When I get set up, I can always use more patients. And of course I want to take care of my cousin too. Of course I want to take care of you side. But all right, uh, so we have the three core questions that you had before. Was before we jump into core, was there anything else as far as you know, prescriptions and wellness and patient care that you just wanted to touch on before we jumped into your core oh, questions? Yeah. One thing, one thing to go on. So I said, like, one thing that I always tell patients is that you affect your body more so than most of these medications. For instance, I'll say this. Most medications are like boosters. Like they're going to boost what your body does naturally or help out what your body does naturally, but there's no replacement in your body itself. Like, side these, bo- I'm telling you, like, you ever thought about how amazing our bodies are? You know what I mean? Like, like, like you know what I mean? They can, they can run and jump and see things and eat food and have sex and love and you know what I mean? Like, these are some amazing things we got. What's up? So, but what you're saying is we can't replace our bodies. Medicine can't replace. Like, if we're not doing something, or if our body's not doing something, the medicine can't no, replace. Like, it. these bodies, like I said, their bodies do so much on their own. It's just like, as I said, like, there's only so much medicine can do to help out these amazing machines. So, but if your body, if you're putting your body in a chronically state to succeed by that, eating the proper foods, because your body's a machine, you got to put in quality, you got to put in quality fuel in your body in order to make it run efficiently. No, no, I said like, I know they say it all the time, but you're not going to run a jet on car fuel. You know what I mean? So you got to make sure you put in the right food. So healthy greens, fruits, vegetables, lean meats, wholesome grains, and water. You do that chronically while exercising about 150 minutes a week, lifting weights twice a week. You'll see that your body is going to be a lot more forgiving to you in the future. And the medicines we have are just are band-aids that, that are meant to help out a problem, but I don't I don't put people on medications and expect, you know, a problem to be solved unless someone's doing it themselves. 
it's like a lot of that's why I like I have a, like a lot of respect for my patients who are really self directed in their care. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Um, all right. Well, let's jump into, let's jump into the Cora questions. So the first question is, Oh, do you want to give your, uh, Cora, um, your Cora That's profile? A good idea. To start off my core profile is my name, Christian Bramwell, MD. You can find me as again on Cora Christian Bramwell, MD behind my handsome picture on the blue background. Feel free to drop any questions guys. All right. Uh, question one: What is the most difficult type of doc? What is the most difficult type of doctor specialty? I'd say the most difficult in terms of years and training is neurosurgery. Neurosurgery, about a six-year residency, plus say about two years of fellowship. So you're in residency for eight years on top of four years of medical school and four years of uh, undergraduate for a grand total of. But twenty years of school and training, that sucks. But they get paid handsomely. But it's also just complicated stuff because they're doing surgery with such a precise uh, part of the body, like the nervous system. It can be very stressful too. And but when there are only so many neurosurgeries, so they also are the hardest working. So in terms of everything, I'll say your neurosurgeons. If you see them, give them a nice smile. They might be too tired or. Uh, trying to fight off uh, the tiredness of a long call, but make sure you give him a nice smile and tell him hello. Okay, man. Uh, question two. How long can you go on a liquid diet without eating so, solid food? The truth is anyone can go on a liquid diet and not eat solid food, but for me, but no, I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah, that question was directed for me personally. And I say I can do that for about a day and a half. So having so I have ulcerative colitis. For all don't don't know, ulcerative colitis is one of those diseases where uh, my body attacks my colon or my gut, and because of that, it gives me some problems. But luckily, I do. Luckily, it's managed well by seeing my doctor and made better by also eating right and drinking right and losing a little bit of weight from college now. But yeah, but I have ulcerative colitis, guys, and because of that. Uh, Oh, what was the question? Sorry, I got track. Question again. It's how long can you go on a liquid diet without oh, yeah. so eating I solid food? So I had to get colonoscopies for my ulcerative colitis. That's what. And I have to go a day and a half of just eating and drinking nothing but clear liquids to make sure that when I do get the colonoscopy, uh, my, my colon is cleansed so that everything can see. That's the longest. Besides that, I would never do it for more than half a day. Just liquid diets aren't fun. You know what I mean? It's it's food. I know you might be trying to lose weight with a liquid diet, but liquid diets lack, like liquid diets just do not give your body proper nutrition. So that should never be the basis of a diet. Okay. Uh, question three. Why do I feel sick after eating every time okay. I eat? This, before you answer this question, this seems kind of... Like this could be something as small as this seems like it could be something as small as uh, I I'm eating crap food and it's making my stomach hurt, but I keep eating it. Uh, I could have some sort of allergy or mm -hmm. maybe an ulcer and this just agitates or, or, you know, aggravates my allergy mm -hmm. or my ulcer. Or it could be something that's like incredibly serious that could be life threatening. 
like this seems like it could be any number of issues is there like when you hear a question like this as a as a doctor do you immediately jump this is more than likely x y um you know this is more than likely this one issue or is this like we need to do a deep dive because there's no way to know what well since well since said since we are on a public platform the first thing i would say is especially if you if you feel sick after you eat and you're having any symptoms like abdominal pain nausea a little bit of reflux or you have a little diarrhea or bloating after definitely go see your definitely go see your provider and schedule a visit now if you're sick and you now if you're sick and you know you're sick trust me when uh, i'll say this people know when they're sick call the emergency department when you're sick and you have other symptoms just go to talk with it with your local doctor but because you're right side it can be a lot of things so as far as the smallest things like i would say, like usually if i was a doctor hearing this if it's just once or twice and it's just you feel sick after you eat i would just like, ask about your diet see what you're eating what time of the day you're eating what you're doing before and after but if this is a chronic pattern, I would definitely think this deserves more investigation. So I would give a more detailed interview, uh, talk about other factors, and get to the nitty-gritty. If I think they're sick and it's an emergency, I'm sending them straight to the emergency department. If they feel sick after they eat and they're throwing up blood or something like that, yeah, send them to the emergency. But, not, but send them to the emergency department. But for right now, I would just say if you do feel like it's a concern, go talk to your doctor about it. Just because it's hard for me to assess a question online, you know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not Doctor House. If I was Doctor House, I probably could have had this figured out already. Gotcha. Uh, what's is there a difference between an emergency room and emergency department? Is that like is the department like a no, state level thing they're two, or they're a county two level? The same, you know what I mean? Just just another. Just another. We usually call the the waiting room the emergency room, and the actual uh, department where all the medical stuff is the department. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, All right. All right. Well, I think so. We've covered the core questions and we've gone through uh, today sort of what prescriptions are, what their impact is, how doctors look at prescriptions, how doctors uh, make the choice of what to prescribe or who to prescribe to, and then things that a patient should be asking, questions a patient should ask or what a patient should be looking at rather than just, you know, taking the prescription and using the drugs without, without asking. Um, with everything that, that you covered today, is there anything left over that you can think of that is maybe connected to this sort of stuff? Like maybe an experience that you had recently uh, where someone asked some really good questions and it was able to make, was able to make sure that you provided them with the, the, the perfect sort of medical I'll care. I'll say this, the one beautiful is this, uh, it's a sweet 62 year old lady. As I, like, as I said, like came into her, she was like on 14, when, when she came to my care on 14 medications, smoking, uh, high blood pressure, anxiety, stuff like that. <sighs> this lady brings a tear to my heart. She, as I said, like, she is like one of my favorite patients just because not only is she a very sweet lady, always talking about how the grandkids are doing. Always telling me how handsome I am with my ties. She, she, she <laughs> she's a sweetheart, but she also does legitimately take my advice. So she was so yeah. I saw her like last month, and her medication list has cut down now to seven. We've gotten her anxiety better controlled on on one medication. Also, it helped that we that we got her to stop to got her to stop smoking as well too. Then besides that, uh, t- we t- t- took her off her blood pressure medications. Her blood pressures were almost running too low on her current medication. So sorry, peeling those back. 
Their hemoglobin A1C came down from 7.8 all the way down to 6.2 in about a year. Oh, like when you take, like I say, the best thing as a doctor to make your doctor happy is taking you off medications. Every time a, a patient is taken off a medication, a young medical student gets his wings. <laughs> I'm telling okay, you, that's man. the best. If you want to, your doctors will love you if you listen to them and take their advice on these health-related topics. About policy and like you know religion, whatever, we're not those guys. But as far as the medicine stuff, if you listen to us, it makes us feel proud. And- okay, uh, so if so, when a patient is taken off a medication, that means they've been doing all yep. the right things. Okay, awesome. All right, well, that's uh, yeah, that's the episode. Good Hopefully, episode. sort of. We had a we had a good flow with that one. We're we're sort of getting the hang of this thing. Uh, I think so too. Yeah, man, you dri- driving the you driving a good boat, man. The opinions provided should not be viewed as medical advice. And remember, please consult with your doctor before making any changes to your diet or habits. Thanks again for listening, guys.